Have y'all enjoyed this worship this morning? I want, I want to share something with you this morning as we, as we kind of dive into the message. What I'm sure of is this, is that there are those here this morning who, who need God to move in their lives. There are those who feel like God is currently moving. And then there are maybe of you this morning and you're a little skeptical about, about God and, and the things that he represents and what he means. And, and I want to share something with you that I think is going to be beneficial for everybody here this morning. Whether you believe in Jesus, whether you've been a cross follower for 20 years, you've just started your faith last week. I think the message today is going to apply to everybody, young, old, in between. And I want to set this up for you before we read these scriptures. In Acts chapter 6, we read of a man named Stephen. Now, Stephen's not really mentioned a lot in the Bible, but there's some interesting scripture that we're going to read specifically about him this morning. But to help it make sense... In chapter 6 of Acts, Stephen is preaching this message to these synagogue leaders called the freed slaves, and they're debating the gospel. And Stephen is proclaiming a bold gospel because how many of you know it's the good news? It's a bold gospel. It's nothing lazy. It represents the kingdom. It represents hope for the world. It It represents restoration for the broken, redemption for the lost. And he's just speaking it boldly before them. And many times when Christians live out their faith, it catches friction with the world. Anybody ever experienced that? It's because there's this difference of of how Jesus wants us to live and what the world wants. Right? We we read in, in, in 1 John in the New Testament, the writer says that the world is under the sway of the evil one. And so there's this tension, and we see this 2,000 years ago when Stephen is preaching the gospel. And read it with me. This is Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. See, he's telling them, hey, man, there's something wrong. There's something wrong here. You're not living out this gospel that I'm reading. And these were religious leaders, and I'm not suggesting this per se directly to anybody. But maybe there's some religious people in here this morning. And you're living by rules and regulations and your relationship with Jesus is about your behavior. What do I do? How good am I? How often do I pray? Did I give to the offering? And you get offended when the truth is spoken. You get infuriated at accusations. And look, they shook their fist at him in rage, verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. I've got a question for you this morning. When was the last time you saw the glory of God? When was the last time you saw the glory of God? Was was it when a baby was born? Was it when you were broken on your knees before God crying out to him? Was it when you were driving to the Smokies? When was the last time you saw the glory of God? You know that it's available to see? That this is not, this is not anything other than the example. It says he saw God's glory. Did you know our name, City Lights, it comes from Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus is talking to his believers and he says, hey, you're like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And he goes on and says, who would put a lamp on a stand and then cover it with a box so it can't be seen? In 
verse 16, he says, Now go out and do your good deeds so that your Father may be glorified. Hey, here's something for you this morning. What if you're a Christ follower in here? You're the glory of God. So then let me flip the script. When was the last time I saw the glory of God on you? Says Stephen saw the glory of God and look, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, verse 56. And he told them, now he's looking back. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, verse 57. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, verse 58. Listen to what they did. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. You feel like you're facing persecution for your faith because you don't have a lot of friends or you don't have the right friends. Let me ask you something. When was the last time that you were dragged out of the city or dragged out of your home for your faith and stoned? I'm not suggesting that what you're going through is irrelevant. I'm not trying to be insensitive. But we need to wake up and realize that what we're facing is nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters around the world are facing. Some of us need to, need to buck up and man up and woman up and quit pouting and move on. It says they dragged him out of the city, and you can't understand the language just by looking at it. But Michael, it was a violent drag, Joe. It was violent. And there's all kinds of people gathered. There's religious leaders standing around. Much like happens today when Christians are facing uh, persecution, even here in America, where it's nowhere near like the Middle East, and we're, we're being mocked and made fun of. Religious people stand around and do nothing. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul would go on to be converted on the Damascus Road, and we would know him now as Paul. Hey, maybe you're feeling like Saul in here this morning. You've made a lot of mess-ups. You've screwed up. You've jacked up. But God can give you a new name. Anybody experienced a new name in Christ? Anybody experienced a new heart in him? Verse 59, as they stoned him, listen, Stephen prayed. Let me ask you something. When you face tough times, do you pray? In the face of death, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60. He fell to his knees, and I think this is twofold. I think that he fell to his knees in prayer, but we also must remember that he's being stoned. And so I think the pain of the rocks and the stone drove him to his knees. And it says he was shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. I'm going to be honest with you, as your, as your pastor, there's a lot of times I come in here this morning, on Sunday mornings, in my heart, I scream, God, don't charge them with the sin. Let them experience your grace. Let them experience your mercy. Don't charge them with this. Don't charge them with this sin. And with that, Stephen took his last breath, and he died. Anybody need some hope in here this morning? Anybody need some hope that things are going to be okay, that they're going to be better? Anybody need hope this morning? You guys ready to hear a word from God to challenge you today? Let's celebrate that. You may be seated. Thank you, Angela. You may be seated. I'm so excited about this message. I'm so excited about what God's going to do. Anybody in here hoping to get just a great gift for Christmas? Don't, don't be afraid to feel selfish. Anybody hoping to get a good gift? Two people. Okay, I guess I'm sitting a bunch amongst the liars this morning. Let's try this again. Is anybody hoping there's a gift they're getting that they've asked for? There you go. Listen, 
Don't be, listen, don't be weak. Own it. Own it. I can remember being probably like four or five years old uh, growing up on Bethel Road. Anybody know where the antique mall is up there? Joe Owens? Just a small town guy. I grew up there. And I can remember being a little kid. And one of the only things I wanted was a mini bike. Now listen, a mini bike, for those of you that don't know what they are, is basically a really square, lame bike. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, can, I even remember what this, dirt, or this mini bike looked like that I had. And I'm sure like today, the younger generation, it would look like an antique. It was just like really, you had to crank it like a lawnmower. It had two bars that came up for the handlebars, this long, oval, ugly seat. And it was just, it was terribly ugly, but I loved it. And it was all I wanted. And I don't even remember how I saw it, but I can remember thinking, that's what I want. That's what I want more than anything. And I hoped so bad that I got it. And I'll never forget waking up that Christmas day and Santa had brought me a mini bike. Now, at the time, Santa, are any kids in here? Was a single mom. And I have no idea to this day how she afforded it back then. Because back then, like 25, 30 years ago, it was 550 bucks, somewhere around there. I was thinking, good Lord, that's a lot back then. It's a lot today. But I'll never forget, I woke up and, and it was there and I was like, yes, yes, this is awesome. So, of course, I'm a little boy and I can't even start it. So I'm like, hey, mom, come start this for me. And I can remember, honestly, I, I got on that mini bike for the first time. My mom cranks that thing up and I'm ready to go in my mind. I'm like jumping stuff. I'm peeling out and doing all this. No joke. I hop on that mini bike, give it gas, was not expecting what it had, run right into a bush and flip off. <laughs> True story. And I can remember thinking my mom was like, oh God, you're probably regretting buying it for me. I'm talking literally, I gave it gas, ran into a bush and flipped off. All in like 30 seconds. Never forget it. But I wanted it so bad and I was able to get it. Maybe for you all this, this Christmas, you're, maybe your kids are wanting some kind of game station, an Xbox or a PlayStation or Maybe you're wanting some kind of new electronic device, a new phone, a new tablet, a new computer, some jewelry, some clothes. Maybe some of you, what you want and what you're hoping for the most is just some good quality time with family. No craziness, no fights, no brawls that need to be on Jerry Springer. And there's something about hoping to get a gift. Any, let me just ask this. This is not really part of my message, but I just want to see. Has anybody ever been disappointed in a gift? Don't lie. It's okay. It's all right. Well, so this whole idea of this series, gifts. See, a lot of times what we do for the holiday season is we spend, we talked about this, way too much money. We spend way too much time shopping. We make these lists. We go shopping to give gifts. We try to give a gift to someone we love that they'll love right? But what if this season, we flipped the script on that and we said this, don't just give gifts this year, receive the gifts that Jesus wants to give you. Jesus has multiple gifts that he wants to give everybody in here. And will you receive them? And one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gives us is hope. It's hope. Specifically this morning, if you're taking notes, as we're in part two of this series, I want to talk to you about hope remembers. Hope remembers. See, hope remembers when life is going down a terrible path. Hope remembers the ability of God. Hope remembers that when my marriage is struggling, that God is greater than my problem. See, hope remembers 
then when I don't understand everything, when things seemingly appear to not be working out, that God has a plan that's not to harm me, but to help me. Hope remembers it's one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gives his children. Listen to what Paul says, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. This is pretty incredible right here. Listen, he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I don't understand, I don't, I, I mean, can you really grasp this? I'm not sure that I can. Listen, no eye has seen, I can tell you one of the first times that I really felt like I had seen God's glory in nature. Anybody ever do any hiking in the Smoky Mountains? This was years ago, but my wife and I, we hiked up Mount Lacan, it's the third highest peak there in the Smokies, and there's a place where people traditionally watch sunset called Cliff Tops. And I can remember the first time that my wife hiked up there, my wife and I hiked up there, and we watched this sunset from clifftops. It may have been the most breathtaking thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I can say certainly, for the first time that day, that I could say I saw God's glory in his creation. You ever seen, you know what I'm talking about? You just seen like a beautiful sunset or a double rainbow or you've seen it on the beach, or you've been out of country, and you've seen some incredible view, and you're like, man, I'm seeing the hand of God. Anybody ever experienced that? But Paul says, listen, no eyes even seen. So you think about this greatest view you've seen that captures your mind. And Paul says, that's nowhere even close to the glory. Then he says, look, no ear has heard. There's a couple songs that are that our band does that I love. I mean, I enjoy every one of them, but there's a couple that just strike me to my core. Or maybe you've been going down the road and listening to the radio, and you ever had that moment where like, you were just worshiping God? If you're, listen, if you're not a Christian, I know this is gonna be kind of weird, so I don't mean to single you out, but where you just heard that song, you've had that moment, and you just feel like you're worshiping. It's almost like heaven is open, and you're just worshiping. You hear this sweet song, and it just strikes you. Anybody have a song like that that just moves you? One of the greatest times that I, that I feel like I, I heard God's voice, not audibly, but like, was this is the truth. This is not being cheesy. Well, maybe it is. My wife's in here. I'm trying to score points this holiday season. Was for my firstborn, baby girl Harper. When she came out and you hear that, wah, I felt like I heard the glory of God in that moment. But Paul says, listen, no ear has heard. And listen, he says this, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love them. That is our hope. That is what should push us daily through our problems. I mean, listen, I've read Revelation. I would encourage you to do it. It's really hard to understand and I don't get everything in it. I know there's some pretty incredible descriptions about heaven in there. But even this, Paul says, listen, you, you can't even fathom what's coming for you. And this is so cliche, and I've debated even saying it. I'm even thinking about it right now. I'm like trying to talk myself out of it because you've heard it a thousand times. I've said it a thousand times. But somebody needs to hear it. We get so focused in this moment right now. And let me tell you what's going to happen, okay? Let me tell you what's happening. I feel like I'm preaching pretty good. I don't know what you think, but I feel, I'm feeling like I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, go ahead. Celebrate me. Give me some love. But what's going to happen for some of you is you're going to get up out of here. You're going to leave. And this is the honest to God truth. You're not going to remember a dang thing I said. 
This is not a guilt trip. It's just the reality. You're gonna get up from here. You're gonna have a good time here, a good experience. But come tomorrow, you're like, what? You're like, what? It's so hard for us to get out of this this, this now mentality, we get so focused right here that we can't ever think ahead. We can't hold on to these things. And Paul's saying, listen, you can't even fathom what's coming for you in heaven. And I'll be honest with you. It would be scary, but I think it would be an incredible experience if heaven could just open up and we could just catch a glimpse of what's coming for us. You may live a little bit more bold in your faith. You may be quit being so lazy and apathetic. Hey, I tell you what else, you might be eager to share the good news with somebody. Our mind cannot even imagine what's coming for us, for those of us who are Christ followers. And see, when things get bad, when the finances get low, hope remembers that there's something greater coming. Hope remembers that there's a greater purpose for my life than just what I'm doing right now. See, hope remembers that cancer is temporary. Anybody defeated cancer in here? I know there are. Yeah. Celebrate it. It's good. It's good. God is able. God is able. Hope remembers that the pain can't hold me down. Hope remembers that the worry is less than the joy of the Lord. I love it. He says, no eye seen, no ears heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love them. It is the hope that pushes forward for us. It is the presence of God in us as we hope and live. What great hope there is for those of us in Christ to spend eternity with him. Now, the same hope that we're talking about that we've not seen, we can't imagine, we can't fathom, is the same hope that we find with Stephen in the scripture we read just a little while ago. And again, we don't know a lot about Stephen. In Acts chapter six, we find something that really, when it comes to like church structure, we call um, what you may have heard called like deacons and elders. The structure from that comes in Acts chapter six where basically this is what's happening to the disciples They are ministering, they are out preaching, they are out sharing the gospel, and there becomes a lot of work for the church because as the church grows, there's more work. And they say, hey, we need some other people to take care of this so that we can go off and do what our calling is. And there were seven men chosen, and one of those men was Stephen. It says he was full of the Spirit, he was full of wisdom. Now, Stephen wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, so, and we're just making kind of an assumption here. I think it's a pretty educated guess that maybe Stephen was saved on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved and baptized. Maybe that was the day that he came to Christ. But nonetheless, he was a man with integrity. He was a man that was well-respected. And more importantly, he was a man that loved Jesus. He was a man that wasn't scared to share his faith. He wasn't um, scared to live out his faith. And there's something interesting about the text that I think we'll all tie in together at the very end. I want us to kind of go back and and look at this text a little bit more in depth and see if it can help us um, 
gain a greater understanding and picture of what hope is. There are a couple characteristics about Stephen's death that I want to share with you. And so we're kind of going to get studious for a minute and just study God's Word. So those of you who don't like the Bible, this is going to be boring for you, okay? And I don't have these up here, so you can just write these down if you like. But a couple characteristics. One of the first things is this, is that Stephen faced death without fear. He faced death without fear. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 54 as we go back. So the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And again, in, in, the, in the previous text, he's preaching. and He's basically saying, hey, this is how you've been living. Not being judgmental, not condemning them, but raising the bar to a greater life in Christ, which is one of my jobs is to not condemn you or con- to convict you, but to challenge you to live a greater life in Christ. And so as these leaders stood here, again, they were from the synagogue called the freed slaves, and they began debating Stephen. And and a matter of fact, at this point, what you don't know, Stephen's been arrested. Because what these religious leaders did was they persuaded some men to lie and say that Stephen was blaspheming God and Moses. Now, surely we don't have any Christians in here that lie, do we? A bunch of liars, no, I'm kidding. So Stephen stands up, He's been arrested, and they tell him, hey, you've got to stand up and address the council. If you're going to live out this faith that you say you do, and remember, they've they've basically lied to the leaders to to get him arrested. They say, you're going to stand up and address the council. And Stephen did it, staring down the face of death without fear. Why? Because his hope was in Jesus. Now, let me ask you something this morning. What things in your life do you need to stand up and address without fear because your hope is in Jesus? What things do you need to stand up and address in your life? What behaviors? What failures? What regrets? What mistakes? What are you intentionally doing right now that is not pleasing to Jesus or does not represent the teachings of him? This day, Stephen stood up in front of the leaders and they were ticked off at him. And it would have been very understandable for me to read this text and it say that Stephen was afraid. Stephen thought he was going to die. But his hope was in the Lord. Those of us this morning who are Christ followers, if our hope is in the Lord, it gives us the courage to stand up and address the issues in our life that are weighing us down. For some it's bitterness, for some it's resentment, For some it's drugs, for some it's pornography, for some it's greed. Now listen, just because I didn't say what your problem is, don't you get out of here and think, hey, babe, I'm good. I had a preacher didn't talk about me this morning. It was Stephen's hope that allowed him to stand in front of these people. Now I'm going to be honest with you as opposed to lying to you, which I may or may not do, but you'll never know. It is the hope in Jesus, honestly, that allows me to stand up here and proclaim the gospel before you. This is just a pastor's confession to you. One of my greatest weaknesses, honestly, is insecurity. Insecurity. And what I mean by that is, not feeling able, 
not feeling good enough. And listen, this isn't a pity party, so don't like hug me after church and be like, oh, we love you, Pastor. I'm just opening my heart to you. Because a lot of times I feel like God gives me a word for you because how many of you know God will speak to your pastor to speak to you? I have pastors in my life that God uses to speak to me. A lot of times I feel like God will give me a word and I'll study really hard, honestly, very hard because I want to come in here prepared. And I feel like God will give me a word and sometimes I'll get done preaching and I'll feel like, man, I didn't convey it anywhere near like what he showed it to me. That insecurity will kind of creep in. And then somebody will post something on Facebook about how good it was. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But it's the hope in Jesus that he is greater than me, that it's not about me, that he's using me, that allows me to stand up and address you on Sunday mornings. It's my hope in him that though the marriage statistics of divorce are 52% or greater or somewhere abouts, it's my hope in him that Ariel and I will remain together. It's my hope in Jesus that a world is constantly being edited to perfection, that this church would be an authentic place where we would just be who we are. Regardless of what other people think, and hear me, I'm talking about the capital C church, and it's Jesus' bride, and I love it, okay? I love her. So I'm not judging, judging another church. But I'm talking about this. I've said this for years, and I mean it. There's a, a Christian artist named Todd Agnew, and he sings in a song. He says, my Jesus wouldn't be welcome in your church because he might get bloodstains on the carpet. That's the hope that I'm talking about, the Jesus who would get bloodstains all over this place and get it messy. I saw this post the other day, and it's so true for us. If you don't like people smoking cigarettes outside in the parking lot, you dang sure ain't going to like the people on the inside here. My hope is in that Jesus, that he is the one that, that mends brokenness. He is the one that saves people. He is the one that redeems people. He is the one that gives us uh, the courage to move forward. This day, Stephen, he stood in the face of death without fear because his hope was in the Lord. I'm gonna ask you again, I ask you at the beginning, and it's for whatever you need it for. How many need hope this morning? How many want some hope? Here's the second thing. Stephen faced death with his eyes, his eyes focused on Jesus. Stephen faced death with his eyes. I keep saying eyes. There's not a D in it. Okay, I need y'all to know that. His eyes focused on Jesus. Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Listen, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that is here with Stephen is the same spirit that lives in us if you're a Christ follower. Full of the Holy Spirit, look what Stephen did. He gazed steadily into heaven. Sometimes you need to take your eyes off the problem and start putting them on the person of God. Sometimes you need to take your eyes off of the struggles in front of you and start putting them on your Savior above you. It's all about perspective, Stephen that day, his perspective was not what's in front of him or the situation, but it was his Savior in heaven. See, a lot of times we want God to bless our circumstances, but maybe what we really need this morning is for God to bless our perspective. Am I speaking to anybody? 
You need him to change the way you think about things. So Stephen, focused in the face of death on Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven. Steadily. He did not take his eyes off of it. We talked about this before. If somebody, leave that scripture up so I don't forget where I'm going. I may. Somebody remind me if I do. There's a story where Jesus is walking on the water. Remember, and Peter and the disciples are in the boat, and Peter's like, hey, if that's you, man, tell me to come out, and I'll, I'll step out. And Jesus was like, come on. And Peter steps out of the boat. Remember, he starts walking on the water, but what we really understand is that Jesus said, come. So Peter stepped out on a command. He was walking on the word of God. And what happened? He's looking at Jesus, and then we see the circumstances around him change. Remember, the wind gets a little stronger. The waves get a little tougher. And what happened to Peter? He began to sink. When? When he took his eyes off Jesus. Now, since I'm on this, I want to just go ahead and share. A lot of people think that that message is about Stephen, or excuse me, about Peter stepping out of the boat and how much faith he had. And we certainly know that it took a lot of faith to get out of there. And remember, we even talked about that Jesus says, hey, you, why you, you, you've got this lack of faith. And what we talked about was this, is that we, honestly, preachers beat the hell out of Peter over that story. If he had just kept his eyes on Jesus, well, he should have, right? He should have. But let me ask you something. How many times have you kept your eyes on Jesus and still had a problem come up? It's going to happen. So the story is not necessarily about Peter per se. It's about God's grace. Now, Peter, I know I'm preaching two different messages here, but I'm going to bring it back together. Don't take this scripture off or I will forget. When Peter steps out of the boat, we, true or false, that took a lot of faith to step out of the boat. True, absolutely. Absolutely, it took a lot of faith to step out of the boat. True or false, it took a lot of faith to step towards Jesus on that water. True or false? True, absolutely. So we have no doubt that it took a lot of faith that day for Peter to do that. So then when Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, you lack of faith, we know that he's not talking about the quality of his faith, right? Because it, we just all agreed it took a lot of faith to step out of the boat. So he's not talking about the quality of his faith. We also talked about, hey, it takes a whole bunch of faith to step out of the boat and to walk on the word of God and walk unto him to the water. Agreed. So then we're not talking about the quality of his faith, right? Quantity, it, it took a lot of faith to get out and it took some strong faith to walk, so we're not talking about the quality. Jesus says, hey, you of little faith. So it's, he's not talking about the quality. He's not talking about the quantity. He must be talking about the duration, of his faith. It's good, right? I feel it. I know it is. Let me keep going before y'all start clapping. So he's talking about, it's not about the quality or the quantity. It's about the duration. It is true. When Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. Now, let's add some more years to it. Now, Stephen, in the face of death, is focused on Jesus. Instead of focusing on his problem, he's focused on the person of God, and his duration lasts. He has the quality of faith. He has the quantity, and his duration is lasting. He looks steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now that day, he saw a glimpse into heaven. Now we read at the beginning, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, where it says, no mind can imagine, but that day, that mind saw. Now some of you that are really, really churchy, 
you may not like what I'm fixing to say. Our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are losing their faith, excuse me, losing their lives because of their faith, they're being burned to death. They're being beheaded. Women are being brutally raped. Children are being taught terrible things. And it's graphic, and I'm not recommending anybody do it, but I've, I've seen some of the videos of what these terrorist groups are doing to Christians. Acts chapter 7, verse 56. Church, you need, to, you need to see this. He's gazing steadily into heaven. Remember, his eyes are focused. The duration is going to last. He's going to keep his eyes on him. And he told them, he's looking at the people, he says, look, I imagine, you know, he's, he's up, but he falls to his knees and says, look, I see the heavens opened. Son of man, Jesus, standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, this is what I'm getting at, okay? Hang with me here. The only time in Scripture, the only time in Scripture, it is the first time, and it is the last time that we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I just feel the anointing of the Spirit on me right now. If you want to be blessed, hang with me. In all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, it is the first time and only time that we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Every other time, Glenn, He is seated at the right hand of the Father. If you're with me, say, preach it. He's standing at the right hand of the Father. And let me tell you why I believe the same is true for Stephen, for our brothers and sisters who are facing persecution and a terrible death. It is this young pastor's belief that that day, See, I don't know if you know this, but we've just read the story of the first Christian martyr. This is the story of the first Christian martyr. This day, Stephen is becoming a martyr. He is basically being murdered for his faith. And Jesus knows that he's fixing to die. In every other place in Scripture, we see Jesus seated, seated, the right hand of the Father this day as he sees his son Stephen and he knows that he's fixing to release his spirit that he's fixing to die Jesus is almost if he stands up and says no dad this one's mine I know this one I'm telling you it ought to fire somebody up it ought to fire somebody up so my belief is this is I'm not suggesting that these terrible deaths out in the Middle East for Christians who are losing their faith, I'm not going to act like it's not painful or gruesome. But what we don't know and what our prayer should be is in those last moments that heaven opens up and they see the Father and they see the Son standing beside Him saying, Welcome, my good and faithful servant. We ought to pray that this is what they see, what Stephen saw that day as they sit there on their knees. And I know this is more because it's Christmas, but it's a reality. Death is factual. It is inevitable. 
as we sit, as we see them standing there tied behind their backs and the knife sticks and across their throat, our prayer ought to be this. God, open up the sky and let them see Jesus standing up. Comfort them. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and I see my Savior, the Son of Man, standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, verse 57. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. And listen, they rushed him. Verse 58. And they dragged him out of the city. Now you understand the, tech, the, the, the context. This is it's a violent scene. It's very violent. It's brutal. They dragged him out of the city. And it doesn't say that he went kicking and screaming. Why? Because his hope in that moment was that Jesus would comfort him in his death. I see, I mean, I can understand if Stephen was like, don't do this. Please stop. Somebody help me. But his eyes were where? Steadily focused on heaven. Look, and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, somebody needs to hear this because, listen, this is Saul. Saul did not, per se, throw a stone that day. But when they laid that coat there, he was giving them their blessing. You may not be throwing stones, but the crime you may be committing against other brothers and sisters is remaining in silence. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, verse 59. Listen, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60. Maybe because of the prayer, maybe because of the pain of the stones, he fell to his knees and listen, he was shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now you're saying, how does hope, how does this bring us hope? The hope is this, is that when our day comes, and it will come, that in those last couple moments that we see the heavens open and we see our Father there waiting for us to welcome us. That is our hope. That during tough times, during unexplainable heartache, that our hope is in something greater than we can even imagine. Your eyes haven't seen it. Your ears haven't heard it. It is our hope that pushes us through. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. By the way, what does that remind you of? What did Jesus say on the cross to the people who killed him? Hey, our hope in Jesus also enables us to forgive those who have harmed us. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I hope that I could have that much faith in the face of death that those who are stoning me, I could say, Jesus, don't charge them with their sin. This is a good practice and some good tools for other Christians in the room this morning. You're an expert at pointing out everybody else's sin. We become experts at talking about what's wrong with everybody else. Oh, that we would have the heart of Stephen. Lord, don't charge them with the sin. And with that, he died. Now see, it sounds like a terrible death, but we know that what he was looking at was Jesus standing waiting for him. Hey, that ought to rock somebody's heart. 
it ought to it ought to stir somebody's heart. He pushes us through life and enables us to forgive those who do us wrong because we know that our hope is in so much, so much greater than what the eye can see now, what the ear can hear, and what the what the mind can imagine. And basically, here's the bottom line, church. Here's the bottom line. If you will care for Jesus in life, he will comfort you in death. If you care for Jesus in life, he will comfort you in death. That is our hope. That is our hope that while we live here, that Jesus is drawing us to something greater. This Christmas season, today, this morning, this hour, this moment, some of you need to receive the gift of hope. Things aren't looking good for you. On the outside, you appear to be fine, and you know it. You need some hope, and Jesus is willing to extend it. It is one of the greatest gifts He gives us, is the gift of hope. Let me ask you one last time. How many of you need some hope this morning? How many of you want some hope for whatever reason? It is available to you this morning. It is available, and there's so much that we can learn from Stephen. We learn that in the face of death, there was no fear. We learn that in the face of death, we focus on Jesus. If you care for Jesus in life, he will comfort you in death. Will you care for him today? Not just because he will comfort you, but because he is worthy of it. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Romans 8, 18. I love this. Paul says, he says, what we suffer now, what we suffer now is nothing. I mean, I know what it's like to go through something and feel like it's everything and feel like the world is crashing around me. But Paul says this, he says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He, Jesus, will reveal to us later. How many of you know the glory of the Lord is upon us? The glory is coming and no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're suffering, it cannot be compared to the glory that surrounds us now and the glory that will be revealed to us later. Has God spoke to you this morning? Let's celebrate that.